Hi everyone, welcome to the Liberal Arts Endeavor, a podcast by Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters. Here, we're dedicated to driving a continued conversation about the importance of public presence in an online space. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. This season, we're refocusing on the value of humanist perspective in the digital age and slowing down a bit to foster a culture of care and listening. On each new episode, we follow Chris Long, Dean of the College of Arts and Letters, as he takes us somewhere new to meet arts and letters students and faculty where they work. Today's episode features Derek McNish in the sound booth, room four of the MSU Auditorium. He's the assistant professor of acting, voice, and speech here at MSU, and he's also the program director for the BFA in acting. Here's Derek and Chris. It's great to see you, Derek, and it's great to be here in the odd. Thanks for joining me. Well, I saw your online portfolio, your website. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. Thank you. And uh, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about is, is how are we using our online presences to create community around the work that we've done. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your, your website and kind of how you think about it. Yeah, sure. Um, so my history, I, I was a professional actor. I still am a professional actor. So I'm used to marketing myself. Yeah. I think that's in my DNA. So I've had a website for a long time, but it's it's changed its purpose over time. Mm. Um, it became a vehicle for explaining the how to tie together all the weird different things that I do and package that into the scholar artist that is me. Um, And a website really makes it makes it clear how that works. Um, You know it serves other purposes but I think it's it's part of being a uh, in a community of scholars it's and uh, making everything that I do be part of a conversation. Yeah. Um, last year I was part of the Adams Academy and that was a, a, a real focus of the Adams Academy was how do we take what we do in these insulated little spaces where yeah. we work and make it part of the national conversation. And so it's it's really easy now just when I have a thought or something I can just pop it up online and there's lots of different places where I, where I can do that. Yeah. How do you think about that with respect to sort of your online reflections, things that are less polished maybe than you would, you know, when we think about publications and things like that, we always have to, you know, first of all, you, you, you polish them up before they get even peer-reviewed, and then they're peer-reviewed, and finally when they come out, they're, you know, a thing. But when we're thinking about blogging and online kind of reflections, you know, how do you balance that with respect to things that are sort of not quite finished, but yeah. something you want to share? I I wish you could tell me that. <laughs> I think there's, yeah, there's, you know, putting something out there requires a little bit of vulnerability yeah. because it's, you know, it's published, not peer-reviewed, but it's it's out there. And so someone could have a reaction to it that then leads to something else. And, and so I think, um, you know, you have to be aware of that. Uh, but also in the context of an ongoing conversation it's 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 just something that's that's different it's not um, it's not structured and I, that's that's what I like about it but I'll also be specific about where I'm putting something you know mm-hmm. if you have a, a a small simple idea that you want to flesh out there's different online communities that I'm a part of so I'm mm-hmm. a voice and speech teacher mm-hmm. and there's this great um, email list called Vastavox oh. where people can just throw out 
a question. I have a student who had this kind of surgery and they have to project, or I have a student who's unable to learn dialects and this is the reason why I think, oh, mm. who has some help? And, and, and that's a community where people are really being vulnerable and allowing themselves to appear that they need, like they need help. And, yeah. um, so, so yeah, I think I would be selective about where those things go. Sometimes Twitter's the right place. Right. Sometimes a blog or a podcast might be the yeah. right place. Um, but there's always a there's always a good place to do it. Yeah, this issue of vulnerability is such an important one because there's a kind of courage you have to have to put the work out there. But I found that, you know, the 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 times, particularly, you know, thinking about whether it's through Twitter or my own blog space, when I've been more vulnerable and therefore also I think more authentic it resonates in a way with people that I often don't anticipate. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's the, I mean, we've been thinking a lot about that, obviously, here at Michigan State over the past few years and all of the, the issues we've been working through as a university and at, within the college, too, thinking about, well, let's be honest with ourselves about what we're, engaged in what 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 challenges we're, we're facing i mean you must you must experience that all the time with students in 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 thinking about acting sure yeah the the classroom is a very safe protected space and then usually students want to pr provide a really polished product to put in front of the audience and a lot of times what we do here it's not about product it's about the process yeah and we want to be open and vulnerable about that experience um, so so we create opportunities to do that works mm. in progress come see this rehearsal we we have a awesome group of donors who come in to watch um, uh, and, and theater supporters who come in to watch rehearsals um, and uh, things like improv right yeah. you, you can't you can't prepare for what you're gonna say right. it's just gonna come out and right. that that can be a little bit scary um, that's why I really am enjoying this this podcast structure that you have because we don't know what's going to happen right. um, but the first time that I did a podcast we scripted out every single yeah. word of it and it was was fantastic and good information but didn't leave open that possibility of what might happen yeah well talk to me a little bit about the origin of the podcast and and I, w I it was it's great I knew I was going to come talk to you today so and I'm a huge fan of podcasts generally and so I downloaded the most recent episode on the, the 12th night and mm -hmm. and it first of all it's great I mean it's a the, the the image on the cover of the podcast <laughs> is very it's fun we can talk about how yeah. you did that but but your intro was great, and then it's hearing the students engage, you know, in a really substantive way with all the various, you know, crafts around directing, what it goes mm -hmm. into directing Twelfth Night. So it's talking a little bit about the origin of the podcast. So this is a, a, a good example of how, like, a small idea kind of balloons into something bigger and something yeah. bigger and something bigger. So it really started out um, at the end of our um, casting session. We, um, we cast our entire um, fall season all at once. Um, and just the luck of the draw, I think, we had a bunch of really talented students that weren't going to be used um, in, in the, the department's production season mm -hmm. um, for the fall. So 
That's a problem for me. I'm the director of the BFA acting program. Right. I want to create opportunities for people. These are really talented actors. Um, also, it's an opportunity for me to work with them. Yeah. So before we posted the lists, I thought I need to create something to get these students involved. Right. This semester we had um, Gus Kaikonen, a professional theater director, yeah. who's directing Twelfth Night for us. And uh, so he's he's in town. He's also teaching the undergraduate classical acting class. Uh -huh. um, I'm also teaching the graduate classical acting class. And um, so it's a it's a semester of Shakespeare. Yeah. With this production going on, and I wanted to give them the opportunity to be a part of that as well. And I just really love the Winter's Tale. I just yeah. love the story. Yeah. And, um, it it's a weird play and it's a fun play. Um, so I wanted to dig into it, um, and that's as, that's as far as I got. Okay. Um, the cast was all female, uh -huh. so we're starting out with something that is um, a little bit different and interesting, okay. um, and the, the, the seeds of uh, maybe a research question, I, I didn't really know at that point. Um, one of my, f uh, f my colleagues, Dan Smith, has been doing research about translation in Shakespeare, yeah. like how do you translate Shakespeare for a modern, modern audience, mm. or, or should you? Right. Right? Is it, is it wrong to cut a little bit or change this word? Um, and so I became interested in that, so we decided to have the students create two cuts of the play, one of them 60 minutes, one of them two hours. Okay. Um, so we, as a little outreach experience to do uh, some touring. We went to a high school to perform the 60-minute version. Mm -hmm. And then in collaboration with the uh, MSU Planetarium, we did the, the two-hour version there. Oh, cool. So we, um, the director of the Planetarium, Shannon Schmall, is a, an excellent collaborator. Yeah. Um, and we did something with her in the past where she um, had the cast of hair come in and sing, you know, Age of Aquarius. Oh yeah, all these uh, walking in space star songs there. So I, I approached her about this idea of doing a star show that connected to the um, the performance, and so that people could really focus on the oral, the heard experience yeah. of Shakespeare while they watch a star show. I happen to have a. Um, I'm sorry, this is much more. No, no, this is great. Than you were expecting, but I yeah. had a. Uh, an undergraduate, a freshman who is a, an astrophysics and theater double major. Yeah. So she took a, on the job of designing this star show. That's awesome. So we created this event. Talk about interdisciplinary. It, yeah, you know? right. It was it was really exciting. Yeah. Um, called it Shakespeare Under the Stars. We got the um, uh, collaborators from the College of Music to come in and, and create these really beautiful, high quality recordings that we're going to put up along with the podcast. Um, so yeah, so we have these performances, and then if that wasn't enough, then um, I, I wanted to create this opportunity for um, students to have a resource or, or, or Shakespeare aficionados, mm -hmm. people who just want to learn more about The Winter's Tale and what goes into it. So, uh, we, and we have Gus on campus, that's an opportunity. Right. We have Josna Singh, who's yeah. a fabulous scholar of Shakespeare. and. Um, and Dan Smith is going to be one of our guests. Mm -hmm. So creating this where the, the students interview these scholars right. um, as a way to crack open the text and help people to understand it from lots of different perspectives. Yeah. Josna looked at the all-female cast aspect of it mm -hmm. and what that means, and Gus told us wonderful stories about directing. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and Dan is going gonna, is gonna to tackle that 
translation, translation issue. Yeah, great. Yeah. So what about the title, Syllable of Recorded Time? <laughs> Tell me about that. Syllable of Recorded Time. Um, it's, so it's, you know, it comes from uh, Shakespeare, the, la the last syllable of recorded time. You know, I, I came up with a bunch of titles and then Googled them and found out there's a, every kind of title has been taken already. You know, there's a <laughs> podcast. Every quote from Shakespeare has been taken. Wow. This one... This one happens to um, survive. I actually sent a list to Abigail Taikaki, yeah, um, uh, and she she picked this one as her favorite. Yeah, that's a beautiful name. Yeah, really. and and she gave it the uh, acronym Sort. So Sort. Oh, okay, for short. that's good. And what about the graphic on? How did that all get developed? She has a student. Okay, so that uh, came out of graphic design in, student in, turn, in, yeah. in Cal and the Cal marketing communication team. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't know who it was, but whoever it was, thank you. Cause yeah, I think it's really cool. Great. I like it. Well, we'll have to talk to Ryan Kilcoin, Kilcoin about who, you know, making sure we get the credits that, out there. So we, yeah. we, we have, um, I mean, one of the, so how are you seeing this, this, the podcast develop in terms of the, is it just going to be the semester, a year, or are we talking about a longer term? It's a good question. So we're packaging this year around the winter's tale. Okay. Um, it'll have the three podcasts with the experts, and it'll have the 60-minute performance okay. and the, the two-hour two performance, mm. and that'll be sort of this, this package. Okay. Um, I'm trying to give this thing legs so that it will continue okay. also the collaboration with the planetarium too yeah i have a graduate student that's interested in directing and he's in love with shakespeare and um so we've talked about potentially him maybe taking this and doing it for a year mm -hmm. um but even if it doesn't i think that this this model could be applied to anything in our production season yeah. you know if we were just focusing on twelfth night or if we were focusing on you know, next semester I'm directing Into the Woods, we could do three podcasts about Into the Woods. Right. The fact that it's, you know, Shakespeare on the cover, maybe we'll just change the graphic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great learning opportunity for yeah. students, too. It's one of those things where, you know, as you empower them to think about how they are bringing their voice to this multimedia kind of mode of presentation that's really important. And then it's, of course, great for them to have an item for their portfolios and for, for ways of showing, yeah, I, you know, I hosted a podcast, I worked closely with professors on this. Sure, yeah, experience just behind a microphone and having the headphones on and hearing their own voice, it, it, that takes some getting used to. Definitely, definitely. The, so tell me, I mean, so that's the origin of the podcast. Talk to me a little bit about your own, how, how you found your way to acting, how you found your way into the theater. How did I find my way into the theater? <laughs> right. um, I was young, and I I started. Um, let's see, way way back. I think that I was really lucky and privileged to uh, go to an elementary school where mm. I had a teacher who used theater as a way to teach all of her topics, and she oh. dramatized things, and 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 I loved it. And so she would also put on plays. Yeah. Um, so all the way back to elementary school. All the way back to elementary yeah. school. She created a theme for her classroom, uh -huh. uh, and it was um, the the one year it was Pachyderm Palace, so everything about elephants. Yeah. And then the play was called But No Elephants, and it was about that. So mm -hmm. you know we were all experts in elephants. That's awesome. And you know that experience for a young person, it's a little bit addictive. Yeah. You know, it's transforming into someone else. Uh, it's it's a fun journey. So I, I kept doing it in school, and 
um, explored other things, but when I got to college and I um, I didn't go specifically to study theater mm. um, because I didn't like many people I didn't know what the reality was and, and all of that right. but um, but when you get down to it you're gonna spend four years studying something yeah. so you, you may as well do something that you're passionate about right so I was I was acting throughout and uh, and then at right after, well, actually, while I was in college, I took a semester off and I went on a national tour. Mm. And because um, I where I went to school, it was three, three and a half hours from New York City. So I would sometimes drive and go for an audition. Mm -hmm. And then I booked something and took a semester off uh, and finished my degree, then moved to New York and and just continued to do it. Yeah. Did you have, did you think, okay, now I'm going to be a professional actor as my career, or were you thinking all, always about the academic side of it as well? I didn't think about the act academic side of it for a long time. Mm. Um, I, was, I was a professional actor in New York City after undergrad for about three years, and then I wanted to just do a better job of it. And mm. so I went and got my MFA at Case Western and the Cleveland Playhouse, yeah. which is a wonderful experience, but it was a conservatory and I, I didn't get to teach. Um, so I didn't know if I, I don't think you can really know if you're gonna like something until right. you try it. So um, after I graduated and went back to New York, I was doing a lot more dialect coaching as a side gig mm -hmm. um, to performing. And that was really my first taste of what felt like teaching. Uh -huh. and, I, and I started to realize that I, I enjoyed that sometimes more than, um, you know, being an actor, sometimes you are very much a creative artist and sometimes you are a piece in someone else's vision. Right. Um, and I, I started to direct more. I started mm -hmm. to um, coach people for their uh, auditions and I, and I decided I wanted, I wanted to do more of that. And that's right. when I really just sort of stopped on a dime and went for my PhD. Wow, that's great. So, you, now you used at the beginning of our conversation this term scholar artists, mm -hmm. artist, and I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you think, how you conceive of those dimensions of your work. What Whether you see them as, di you know, totally distinct or how they're integrated, the, being a scholar and an artist. They have to be integrated mm -hmm. and part of that is the nature of this university right. and the, the nature of my position where I have to have this vertical trajectory. Yeah. So if I pursue everything to, you know, if, if I have breadth and not depth, I'm setting myself up for failure. Mm -hmm. But when it works out well, one thing informs the other. So this um, podcast is, is an interesting example of that where I'm the um, acting voice and speech person. I teach uh, classes in voiceover performance. I teach classes in classical acting. Mm -hmm. So here it's an artistic exercise that is becoming a research question and, mm. a, and a project that helps students. It sort of ticks off lots of different boxes. Um, and that's that's what happens ideally when when things work together. And sometimes they fit more into one category than another. How, how do you wh when do you have the sense that something is emerging as a research question for you in that context? Um, for me, it's always a concrete problem that I feel like I can either, either someone someone has the answer and I want to find it, mm. or or if not, then I, I want to help develop mm -hmm. and I want to be part of that conversation. 
So, you know, when I when I went to um, uh, earn my PhD, that all was new to me, thinking about things yeah. in those terms. And I didn't have a sense of what I wanted to research. I just wanted to teach people and yeah. I wanted to direct and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, my first time teaching an acting class, I ever, my, really? like, my actual first time teaching an acting class uh -huh. at a university, I walked into the class with all of my plans and it was very well thought out and I was so excited. And there was a, a student with a dog in the class, a great big dog. Uh -huh. And I was a little taken back, taken uh -huh. aback. Yeah. Um, so it turns out it was a service dog. Yeah. And I, had a, I had a student who was blind. Uh -huh. And um, and I wasn't prepared for that. Everything I had planned for that day, uh, we were going to do an exercise where we toss balls yeah. to learn people's names. Uh -huh. And that would have excluded someone. Right. So instead, I had everybody sit on the ground and we rolled balls uh -huh. um, but I'm not a dog owner uh -huh. so I didn't realize that um, even the most well-trained dogs <laughs> can't resist a that ball. temptation wow. so so I I did I started researching and I wasn't even thinking about it in that context as a research question but I was trying to find how do how do we train actors with disabilities how do we be inclusive in our classrooms how do we make this pedagogy um, you know for someone who is uh, who who has a mobility impairment, and right. so much of what we do is about um, run, stand, or yeah. if someone is if someone is visually impaired, and it's make eye contact or or listen. Listening skills in theater are, are so important. So I, I found that there really was very little mm. to answer that question. So I started conducting interviews, and that was kind of how um, how how that became something where there was a crossover be between my teaching. And now in my artistic practice, where I try to bring these inclusive practices into rehearsals and into research and, and sharing knowledge. Yeah, that, that's such an important story of that palpable moment of kind of coming up short uh, mm -hmm. with respect to what you expected. Yeah. And how often that happens to us in our lives. But then your, your response to that, to being very... Uh, imaginative, imagining your way into the perspective of the student of yours who wasn't going to be able to participate in the ways that you had thought you were going to teach. Such a powerful and important thing to, for, for us to kind of sit with because it was so much of our work and so much of our lives is about responding to people where they are to the degree that we can discern that, you know. Yeah, and it has to come from a place of acknowledging your own limitations yes. and knowing that there's a problem and I don't have an answer. Right. Um, so let's work together and reach across disciplines and yeah. figure out yeah. how to how to make this work. Yeah, it goes back to the issues of vulnerability that we yeah. that we started with. So one of the things we've been thinking about is places of practice. Mm -hmm. We are here in the basement of the beautiful auditorium, the historic auditorium at MSU, and we're in um, a kind of sound studio that has been crafted. It seems like it's been sort of built up. We've got people coming in, and we've got sound of the load-in for Twelfth Night, so yeah. we've got, so part of the the intent of, of being with you in this space is to to both sort of understand, get a better understanding about you know, your spaces uh, in which you work, and then also just to talk a little bit more about and be more intentional and cognizant about the spaces that 
determine our relationships with one another and also the nature of our work. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could talk a little bit about this place. Sure, yeah, this place is a, it's a gift. It's a, just a wonderful gift for us to have here in the Department of Theater. Uh, I think it was built um, maybe four years ago, I'm not sure, um, and in large part by one of the um, uh, faculty that we have in our scene shop, Mark White. Um, so this is um, this comes from the need to be able to teach uh, voiceover classes. Mm -hmm. So I teach a graduate voiceover class in this space uh, with our eight eight person MFA actor class, um, and then Jason Painter Price, our our sound design uh, professor, teaches sound design in this class, mm -hmm. and and we have a um, recording studio back there, which is very heavily soundproofed mm -hmm. because as you can tell we're sitting outside of the right. studio and you can hear all the sounds of people coming down the hall and hammering things in the in the um, the arena theater over there and even the heating in this building just kind of yeah rattles a bit right so this is uh this is a space where we do uh, actually when we have voiceover work for our students for productions. Uh, we'll record that sort of stuff in here. Mm. Uh, I'm directing Into the Woods next semester, and one of the characters, uh, two of the characters, the giant and um, Cinderella's mother's ghost mm -hmm. is a voiceover. So ah. we'll, we'll be recording those. In and those will be space. broadcast over into the auditorium yeah. and the, that space. Okay. Yeah. How, so what goes into thinking about that? You've got to think about, I mean, yeah, tell me a little bit about how that works on the sort of on the production side of it. Uh, for like how to design a show? You will, and just yeah. about, you've got a voiceover like mm -hmm. that and it's got to be projected into a space that's, I mean, it, I guess it depends on what which space you're projecting it into yeah. and, and does that determine how you record and all the... Basically, I'm asking you to teach me the class that yeah, you're probably totally. teaching. No, I, I, I would love to. I mean, I mean, part, everything in, in theater direction and design, it's all about telling the story yeah. of the characters. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the those conversations happen months before the show is even yeah. cast. So we're having those conversations every Friday mm. about um, what the show's going to look like and sound like and feel like. What does our cow look like? What do those birds look like? How does the giant come into being? all of these things. What's, what are the themes in the show that we want to accentuate mm -hmm. um, for our production here at Michigan State? And, and yeah, part of that comes into, um, okay, these characters, first there was a decision to, to, to do them as pre-recorded voiceovers, okay. just logistically about we're going to combine those with um, digital animation. Okay. So we need to line those things up. Mm -hmm. And then there will be the live orchestra that's playing along with the pre-recorded okay. uh, singing. Wow. So it's a, it's a lot of moving parts yeah. and everything needs to really be planned ahead of time and thought out. In terms of the actual performance, that's the that's the really fun part of it. I can tell you if you want some quick tips and tricks on voiceover performance. Um, the big biggest secret is movement. So um, you'll see that in that studio right now, it's set up with the microphone is is set up for someone to be standing, okay. I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd have to look around to okay. see. Um, but normally that's how you would work because you, the more movement is in your body, the more the character will um, will come across in the voice and the, uh -huh. and the breath, um, the more organic it will feel. Whenever you watch a, a really good voiceover performer, uh, you'll see them bouncing off the walls, yeah. like Robin Williams yeah. doing um, his voice, the genie in Aladdin. Mm -hmm. he's, he's all over the place. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's that's a really important thing, and and you know those actors get the chance to to really work on that. Yeah, that that that's really interesting. As you know, we should think about with regard to the podcast too is move movement. I mean, I, as I'm talking, I'm moving my hands. I can feel yeah, that. That's you know, important. and thinking about how that how that translates into the experience of the podcast. How do you how have you been thinking about these issues of accessibility when you're thinking about something like a voiceover and a performance like that? with a video so you've got issues of you've got visual and auditory accessibility issues in those mm -hmm. contexts what you know how, how have you been thinking how do you think about that in a performance like this yeah that's a really important point and it's something that i think that um we struggle with in the department of theater and i'm sure the wharton center and really every other producing organization right. um there are solutions to those those issues there are ways to make these things accessible. Mm -hmm. um, they cost money right. is, is the main thing. So um, the Wharton Center does awesome um, uh, production sometimes where they'll have one particular performance that's a sensory friendly production mm -hmm. where the lights will be on and um, the sound will maybe be turned down a little bit and special effects might be toned down like a shot, uh, mm -hmm. a, a gunshot, things that, that um, might might be um, inappropriate for certain audiences. Um, for things like a, uh, having a visually impaired audience here in the Department of Theater, ideally what we would want is um, is having either audio descriptions mm -hmm. or, or, or um, having some alternative, providing alternative, basically the principles of universal design, mm. providing multiple modes of, of right. representation. Um, and that's that's something that I think right now we sort of do on a show to show basis and yeah. uh, in the future I, I hope that we'll we'll do it more across the board yeah I mean as we think about the land-grant mission of access to education mm -hmm. and we think about the issues of social justice and and access to the kind of content that we care most deeply about we, we've got to do work on that and I, I hear what you're saying around the cost of it um, LCC, we need to work on that LCC has a, um, a program for uh, American Sign Language translators uh -huh. so for their productions they always have ASL translators which is awesome and a yeah. wonderful resource um, so we, we looked into that I think that's very much on our radar is yeah. something that we're we want to do. Yeah, and what a great opportunity too for our students to learn about that and and fits in with your research too as you were, were, were talking about. I mean the skills, we're seeing that too in, in, in our experienced architecture major and in other graphic design, you know, web design mm -hmm. components where our students are learning about all the issues associated with accessibility and that is a really important issue in and of itself, but it's also a, a great skill for them to have because it's sought after in industries across, you know, the world, really. Yeah. So let me ask you uh, what's holding you back. So I'm the dean, and I get to, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the great things about being a dean is to try to empower our faculty and our students to be successful. So, so tell me some of the things that are kind of holding you back. Oh, <laughs> Uh, well, it's the low-hanging low fruit, but time is the fire time. in which we burn, right? That's always, that's always trouble. But I, I think that's something that we all struggle with because right. we're, you know, overachievers and there's so much to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's such an important point and I've been thinking about all the ways in which 
we as an institution impinge upon your time, ask you to do things, some of which are critically important, but other things I think we've got to be thinking about. I mean, I say this all the time when I'm, when I'm charging a committee for a search committee, about faculty time is one of our most important resources, and we need to, we need to empower faculty to have more time. And the issue that I also think about is what kind of time? You know, do you have the time to, to tarry with the things you need to tarry with? Yeah. To really think deeply, to work deeply into an issue. Yeah, and the college has been talking a lot more about self-care yeah. um, and care for others, and I think that's an important conversation to have. Right. Um, but that's... I can't do the change the yeah. time, time, time continuum. I, can't, I can work on that. Well, <laughs> I mean, I have connections now in astrophysics. Okay, so that's I'm going to see what, what can happen. Good. That's good. I would say another thing, you know, not something that's holding me back so much as, uh, you know, um, a structural situation that... Uh, so I took um, a, the Strengths Finders yeah. assessment uh, thing through, through the Cal Leadership Program. And, uh, one thing I discovered about myself through that was uh, I'm someone who really thrives when I get to have a, a, a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone, like a synergistic um, kind of deep connection mm. with someone because mm -hmm. I'm, I do a lot of interdisciplinary work and collaboration in the theater. Um, so I've discovered, especially since then, that when, I, when I'm not permitted to do that, I get really frustrated mm -hmm. and it feels like a... It feels like a missed opportunity. Um, so I think that um, there are, the university really talks a lot about valuing interdisciplinarity and, and, and we're, we've got the center for it mm -hmm. and we're um, uh, valuing wh what, what can come of all of that. But I also think there, there are still structures that kind of get in the way of that as yeah. far as the kind of scholarship that's valued. You're, sole authored monograph and um, a team taught class is well that's half a class mm -hmm. um, so in my experience I when I when I've had those opportunities to really reach across the um, university aisle and, and make those connections with people it's been really fantastic um, but I think the thing that maybe holds me back is that the the silos that yeah. we exist in, that um, there are people in the College of Music that I have so much in common yeah, with, right, right? right? And they and there are resources they have that we would love to use. And and I, you know, I'm a speech nerd, and the I should have more connection with linguistics. And um, you know, the the media and information needs actors for their yeah. video games and right. for their um, commercials and their advertising programs and. Um, and we have actors that need time on camera. Right. And, um, there's, there's just all of these strange barriers to collaboration that I think exist not as not necessarily as institutional, but more as like inertia. Yeah. Of well, we're used to kind of uh, we're used to doing things on our own, or we're used to um, having our own territory, and uh, and and it's something that I I would love to understand better so that I can kind of w navigate between the, the lines. Well, the, 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 there's a number of dimensions to that that I think are really important to, to pull out. One is the question of how we reward the very difficult and valued work of collaboration. Mm -hmm. How do we recognize that? 
How do we, I mean, a, a, a team taught class which can take twice the effort is counted for half a class. So we need to figure that out. That there's, I mean, there's a number of ways in which I um, have been trying to think through the issue, the ways our metrics are not aligned with our values. Mm -hmm. And that if we value collaboration, if we value one-on-one -on -one connections with students that are transformative for them, um, if we value co-authored scholarship, mm -hmm. co-produced performances, then we need to be honest with ourselves about how we're identifying those as valued things mm -hmm. and how we're rewarding them and valuing them when it comes time for annual reviews and salary increases and all that. So I'm, I'm definitely, it's one of those issues that I'm very much sensitive to. So, but, but I mean, this is a really important um, point that you're bringing up. It's one that I don't have easy solutions to, but I definitely sure. have some thoughts about how can we re-articulate how we are valuing these things we say we value when it comes time to do tenure and promotion and salary increases and that sort of thing. The other issue, and relatedly, is the structure of institutions. I mean, we divide ourselves into disciplines, and we, and, and, and we have the theater department over here in the odd, and we have media and information over there in the Com Arts building. Where are the spaces for us to be together in ways that would allow us to find opportunities for our students to thrive when you have these synergies that are right there? We see them. Yeah. We know that they're there. Um, and and we need to find ways to do that. So I'm yeah, I'm grateful for you bring, to to bring those forward, and we're going to have to work together on figuring out some ways to address them. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a great a chance to talk to you. It's great to be here. It w I will note that the space warms up over time when you don't have the fan on. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. And you have to keep the door shut, otherwise the sound comes in from sound outside. Comes in. So exactly. Well. Thanks for being that's here. That's something that's holding me back. There it is, the <laughs> warmth of the, the warmth. Well, so much, you know, energy down here in the basement of the odd. It's, it's no wonder it's getting hot. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you. A big thank you to everyone involved with this podcast, including our technical producer, Dan Trago, our marketing director and producer, Ryan Kilcoyan, and our interns, Dante Smith and Anya Delan. You can access every episode of the Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast online at go.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. See you next time on Liberal Arts Endeavor.